morning. Whew. A little warm this morning. That's okay. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah 55. I'm excited about where we're in. I mean, I've been excited about 53 and 54, but 55 just is even it got me even more excited. And I sat down to write it this week, and it just it flowed very well. And I really uh, I really enjoyed writing this one. You know, two weeks ago we were exploring the fact that you know that we that Christ is in grace has been given to us by Christ who won it on the cross. And this grace is provided to us freely. And but God wants us to know that this is not just some theory. This is not just some some um, historical fact that we can look at. It's something that we can experience. And I think that's something that we miss sometimes. Is that that actually the cross is not something that just happens and and we move on with our life. No, it's something that we experience our whole lives as believers. And God invites us to this new life, and this new life is too good to refuse, though many people do. Many people refuse to come to Christ, even though the Holy Spirit is calling them. And the thing about it is, we've got to remember that we all don't experience life the same way. Everybody's experience in life is different. So we've, we've got to give people some grace. We've got to keep praying for them. We've got to keep pushing forward and, and, and reminding them of who Christ is and how much He loves them, how much He wants them to come, and He'll go to them, and He's calling them. Because the reality is that we are all needy people. Oh, no, I don't need anything. Yes, you do. We are all needy. Some of us realize it. And we respond to this invitation from God because we know we are needy. We know we need something beyond ourselves that we can't save ourselves. And that, that there's things going on in our, our lives and in our world that we can't, we can't defeat on our own. But there are others who cannot or will not admit that they need a Savior. And no amount of things we tell them is going to change that. Now, we don't stop telling them, but what happens is it's the Holy Spirit who has to speak to them and move their heart. I recently found out from my doctor that I am chronically dehydrated. I know. Look at the water pouring off me today. But I am, And I didn't even realize it. I mean, I get thirsty, so what do I do? I go in and drink some water. But she told me, she says, no, your, your body is telling you that you are chronic. All the tests that we did tells me you are chronically dehydrated. So she gave me, I have to drink these, these, these electrolytes now. Okay. These electrolytes are for pregnant women. So I'm feeling a little moody right now. No. <laughs> They're for pregnant women because pregnant women need electrolytes. And so that's what I'm drinking it's supposed to help me. I'm not sure if it is because I couldn't tell I was dehydrated to begin with because I got so used to it. It's kind of like kind of like when you have high blood pressure, which I also have, that you don't even realize it until you take your blood pressure. It's a silent killer. Most people don't realize they need a savior, or they don't want. They knew it. They know there's something they need, but they don't want to admit it. The world is full of spiritually dehydrated people. And I'm afraid that many of them are in the church. In fact, I'm not afraid. I know it. So what God is doing, God is calling those who are thirsty. He says, come to me. Drink deeply. 
I'm providing living water. And Isaiah, if I have to say 51, 55, I'm sorry, 55 verse 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. I want you to understand that this, God, this call that God is giving to those who are thirsty is so close to his heart. It is, it, it, it's, you know, you, got, you, know all, you all have these things in your life that, man, when, when that happens, it just oh, it tears at your heart. You know, when your child tells you, I love you, without being prompted. When you see your child do something, you know, they don't know you're watching, and you see them doing something without your prompting. I mean, it just, it moves your heart. And, and this idea of calling us to come, is moves God's heart. It's so important in that we also find it at the end of the Bible. In Revelation 22, 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Huh. Sounds just like Isaiah 55, 1. I don't know about you, but when somebody tells me something once, okay. When they tell me something twice, I better start listening. They tell me a third time, I know it's important. I haven't found a third one yet, but this is still very important. See, if we look at our thirsty lives, and and this is not a good time to be doing this because the fields are all green, but I want you to think, if our lives are thirsty, our lives are like a field of corn in, in like, let's say it's August, we haven't had any rain since May. And the, the corn has come up, it's been growing, great, and then all of a sudden, there's no water. And what happens? It becomes dry. The ground is cracked. The, the corn is brown. Dying because of the lack of water. Being pushed around by the breeze. That's what our lives are like when we're spiritually thirsty. When we're spiritually dehydrated. And, and we, we may, you know, we'll talk about this in a minute, the different, t- different people who are called and, and what it's like. You know, we, we may realize it or we may not. But all life is, has dashed all of our dreams. Uh, our circumstances that we find ourselves in are not exactly what we wanted, not exactly what we planned. And here we go, all of a sudden we're feeling, feeling bombarded and we're feeling overwhelmed, we're feeling dry, we're feeling dehydrated, we're feeling lost. We, we try to find meaning in life, and we can't find it. We come up empty-handed without a fruitful harvest. See, Jesus, Jesus tells us in John, and I guess this is the third place, he says it. John 7.3 says, If anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Come to me and drink. He's inviting those who are thirsty those who have a thirst, who are chronically, spiritually dehydrated, who don't have the resources to, to fill their thirst. So what do we do? We need to go to Christ because he can fulfill our thirst. Discouraged, depressed, depressed. I mean, we, we, we feel like life is like walking through a desert, you know? You're walking through a desert and there's no water. I've been on walks before, not in a desert, but I've been on walks where... And I'm not talking about the one we took last year, by the way. But <laughs> I'm going through walks with it. I've had no water. I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have brought some water. I should have brought some water. And it's all I think about. 
And I've been on other walks where I, I just don't even think about it. But that person who's thirsty, who knows they need to be refreshed, knows they need to answer this call, those are the ones that God is calling. Christ has come to save you. I mean, we, we, when we're in that position, I mean, we could kind of relate to one of the others we can relate to. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, we feel when we're spiritually dehydrated, we feel poor in spirit. We feel we can't do anything. We can't get anything right. You know, we feel like the world is falling apart around us. And blessed, we truly are, even though we don't realize it. Because you and I, when we're in that condition, we have nothing to offer God. Nothing. And yet, what does he say? Come. Drink. Buy without money. Seems kind of strange. He stands there with open arms, invites us to come drink deeply of the waters of life that only can found, be found in Christ. Or, or we may also be someone who, 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 you know, who doesn't realize that they have that condition in their life. And verse 2 of Isaiah 55 says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Why are you wasting your money on these things? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Now, he's not just talking about finances. He's talking about why do you spend your life? Why do you spend your worries? Why do you spend your time thinking? Why do you spend your free time? Why do you, why do you spend it on stuff that doesn't matter? I keep trying to tell people this. Is, is that really important? In, in the big scheme of things, does that really matter? I tell my kids this especially. Does that really matter? Does it really matter that she touched your thing? That she touched your little project you're working on? Does it really matter that she didn't do this or he didn't do that or they said this or they said that? It really doesn't matter in the large scheme of things. Because we are chronically spiritually dehydrated because we keep trying these things in this world that don't satisfy us. I'm guilty of it. You know, I I don't just buy one thing. I buy five things because I think, well, this will do it. It doesn't satisfy. You know what I need? I just need a motorcycle. Right? You know what? I'll get a motorcycle and I won't be satisfied. Well, I just need a jet. <laughs> I need an airplane. I, you know... I need a bigger house. I need a bigger car. The problem with that, I end up with, sooner or later, you end up, well, I need a new wife. I need a new family. That's the road that that leads to. We need to learn to be content, but we also got to realize that in the midst of that, that we are spiritually, the problem is we're spiritually dehydrated and we don't even know it. Like I, I did not know that I was chronically dehydrated. So what did I do? I started Drinking more water. I started drinking these packets and feeling very moody. But drinking these packets. I haven't told my doctor yet that. that she's going to think it's hilarious but that I think I'm moody because I'm drinking this. It's for other reasons. But <laughs> I'm drinking these and guess what? I'm starting to feel like, whoa, my, my joints feel better. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? When you lubricate something, it actually works. See, but we don't know. We don't realize that we're spiritually dehydrated. 
And that's the saddest thing. Because I'll tell you, people around you, they know. And they try to tell you, and you don't hear them. Or you ignore them. Or they're too afraid to tell them because they've told you once and you've snapped at them. We, we try to be self-sufficient, but we're still dissatisfied in the midst of that. We have money to spend and we spend it. We have energy, we work hard, achieving things with the goal to, to better our lives. Isn't that the American way? The Western way? You know, we may, very, we, we, we may also be working very hard to improve our souls. You know, man, I, I read my Bible every morning. I, I read this devotion and that devotion. See, see, the problem with that is that when we don't go to the source and we start to use these other things to try to fill that, Satan's going to slip one in on you that you're not even going to realize that it's bad. I, I come to realize something um, in my in our, our we're we're going through we're actually studying uh, the Bible and the Book of Enoch and and what happened back in Genesis in Sunday school and as I'm in my studies I'm starting to realize Satan has he's using the same method he's always used he what he does is he gets himself into the church and starts changing things in a way that makes it so it seems like it's perfectly fine but in reality it's extremely dangerous Satan is in the church today. I see it in our denomination. I see it in our churches. I've tried to warn some people, and I, I, I don't get anywhere. I'm beginning to get a little bit of groundwork because they're starting to see it more and more. But there are things in the church that do not belong in the church. But if we're honest with our soul, ourselves, even though we're trying to work on our souls, we're still, still dissatisfied. See, our spending and our hard work, it, it can't satisfy you. Our life is like being stranded on a raft, surrounded by salty water. There's plenty of water, but what happens when you drink that water? You get more dehydrated. You can't drink salt water and quench your thirst. It's not possible. Oh, I just lost my servant. See, if, if we're apart from Christ, we fit in one of those two categories. And I'll be honest with you, I think some of us are right there with Jesus. We're not spiritually hydrated. We're doing well in Christ. Others of us are just a little bit off. We're still we're feeling a little bit of it. But there's others that are even are completely off. And we all think we're all in the same place. I think some of the things that have been going on, and, and someday I think I'm going to have to sit, we're going to have a meeting, and I'm going to explain to you everything that's been going on in the denomination. The people who, in the denomination, who are struggling to get against each other right now, they both think they're right. And they're both wrong. In some way. But they are too stubborn to admit it. And we've started down a path. And that's the problem. We are either destitute, where we don't have anything, and, and we, we know it, or we are full of resources, but we're dissatisfied. But see, we have to ask that question, do I realize what my condition is? I just realized I need a drink. How 
I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know I was chronically dehydrated. I felt I was drinking plenty of water. I was drinking probably, um, I'd say about 64 ounces of water a day. Do you know what now I'm drinking? I'm drinking over 150 ounces of water a day. Going to the bathroom a whole lot. But I'm feeling a lot better. See, I took a, they took the blood test and they saw that these numbers weren't quite right. And it was affecting my body. It was affecting my cells. So think about that. If we're spiritually dehydrated, it affects us. It affects our souls. It affects our daily lives. So what is Jesus offering to us? What are the benefits of answering the call that Jesus says, come those who are thirsty and drink? What do we get out of this? We get this idea from these verses. What Jesus is offering is a feast. I'm all for feasts, man. I love to eat. Hmm. And just like we usually experience at a restaurant, what's the first thing they come and they ask you what you want, right? They ask you, what do you want to drink, right? So that's the first thing. We're going to start with that. So first of all, what is Jesus offering us? And then we'll move on to the food. Well, first of all, Jesus offers us water first. Because water, what water does is water brings and water represents life. How long can we last without water? Anybody know? Three days. Three days without water. That's how long you can last on average. There's some people maybe able to last longer depending on their body reserves. But think about this. If you're already if you're already dehydrated, how long do you think you may not last those three days? So Jesus is inviting us, he's inviting those who are spiritually dying, and whether they know it or not, to come to him and to drink life giving water. It reminds me, obviously, of the story of Jesus is in Samaria. And what he does is, he, he sends his disciples into the city. This is about noontime. He sends his disciples into the city to, to do what they need to do, to buy provisions or whatever. And he sits outside the city, because the wells were usually outside the city, or in the main, right at the entrance there, so people could get to it, so everyone could have access to the water. And he's sitting there, it's about noon, and, and the sun is high in the sky, and, and, and the women of the town, they've either come early in the morning when it's cooler to get the water, or they come later in the afternoon as it begins to cool down. But here it's noon, and a woman comes by herself. Now, that seems kind of strange for that culture, because that's not normal. So she must have something she's hiding. She's trying to stay away from the other women, because she's living a life she shouldn't live. We find that out later. And she begins to draw water. And Jesus is thirsty. And he says, can you give me something to drink? And his request surprises her. And we go to book of John, John 4, beginning of verse 9, we get the story. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. Now, understand that when the, the, nations, the nation had split, we had the northern tribes and the southern tribes. Southern tribes was Judah and Benjamin. The northern tribe was the other ten tribes. Those ten tribes get taken by the Assyrians. The Assyrians disperse them throughout the empire. They lose track of who they are. Some people come back, but they're considered half-breeds. They're not really Jews. The Jews don't like them. The Samaritans don't like the Jews. The Samaritans do not go to Jerusalem to worship. They have a mountain on their own that they worship on. 
Why do you think Jesus used the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan to a bunch of Jewish rabbis? Because he knew it would be an insult to them that it was the Samaritan who stopped and not the priest. They did not like each other. Jewish men did not talk to Samaritan women. Because Samaritan women were considered harlots. And she says, if you don't know what harlot is, ask your parents later. <laughs> for Jews, she says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, wait a minute. You have nothing to draw it out of. She's thinking, how's he going to get in the well? There's no, there's no way. He doesn't have a bucket. He doesn't have a, he's, there's no way of drawing it out. And the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water from? She says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Jacob? It was a well that Jacob had dug. He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water... You're going to be thirsty again. It's not going to satisfy you. The world is the well that's never going to satisfy. You can drink heavily from the world. You can open your mouth wide and gulp it in. It will not satisfy you and you will thirst again. But he says, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Not only do you get filled, but it springs up and it overflows to everybody else. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She completely missed it. Completely missed what he was saying because she says, Well, give me some water so I don't have to come here anymore. Because I'm tired of coming here at noon where I have to avoid all the women because they talk bad about me. And then he drops the bomb on her and tells her why they talk bad about her because she's had so many husbands. The man she's living with now is not her husband. And that floors her. And she ends up being basically an evangelist to that town and a lot of people come to Christ because of her. And I see Jesus in Isaiah 55 offering us that living water. He stands before us with the living water from the well that is always available to us. And we don't have to go at noon. We don't have to go in the morning. We don't have to go in the evening. We can go anytime. Two o'clock in the morning, we can wake up and drink of that living water. It doesn't matter. And we can receive eternal life. We drink and we live. Not, not just now. It's, it, this, the thing about it is, it's not just that we, we are fulfilled and we don't th- aren't thirsty again in this world. No, we drink for eternal life. To be eternally with Christ. That's what he is offering. He next offers milk. Well, he offers wine, and we'll get back to that. But he offers milk first. Or after that. Secondly. When we think of milk, we think of nourishment. When, when a baby is nursing at its mother's chest, it's receiving all the nourishment that it needs. It doesn't need any supplements. God has created in a mother the ability to produce milk that is perfect nourishment for a child. I mean, the world, we've tried to duplicate it. 
We try to duplicate the formula. It's not the same. It never has been, never will be. It's God himself that nourishes a child. There is no equal. All the nutrients, all the vitamins, all the minerals, everything is provided. So God is calling us to him, and and he wants us to get spiritual nourishment from the milk. When, when, when God told the Israelites that he's going to, give them the prom, going to send them to the promised land, what's, it's a land full flowing with what? Milk and honey. It has everything you need, and boy, is it sweet. And that helps us. The milk that Jesus offers helps us be strong spiritually. We can see this in the Word of God in 1 Peter 2. It says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. You and I, just like babies, need to long for it. When a child is hungry and the mother hasn't nursed it yet, what does happen? That baby starts crying. We need to be crying for the spiritual milk that God offers us. That it, by it you may grow, into, grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you've never tasted the spiritual milk, you're not going to probably desire it. But boy, once you taste pure spiritual milk from God, that's all you want. This this idea of milk is, is being, it's, it's nourishing, it's flourishing, where Jesus has everything we need for our souls to grow and to flourish in celebration and vitality. And then right before that, he talks about wine. Come, buy without money, buy it. Now, now there's a great amount of danger in being drunk. Believe me, as a church, we know that. And we should be very concerned about the damage that alcohol causes in people's lives. Okay? I'm not saying that we need to overindulge in wine. What I'm saying is, is that we know it's a problem. And if there's an abuse, we need to stop it. And if we know someone, even if even if it's okay for if it's okay, you say it's okay for you to drink, and but you have a brother who it's not okay with you don't drink in front of him. Okay, there, there are rules to this, but the Bible speaks of wine as a symbol of joy, a symbol of celebration. It's a blessing from God. In, in Psalm 104, it says, "You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart." You know, don't we want our lives to be strong and stable? Don't we want our lives? And believe me, on the outside, we may be trying to make our lives strong and stable by our jobs and our work and the things we do. But understand that if you're spiritually dehydrated, that's a facade. It needs to start with your spirit. It needs to start with our life in Christ that needs to be strong. We need more of this, but we also need the exhilaration of playing, of skipping, of laughing, of shouting, of singing. Nothing worse than boring, sad Christians all the time. Now, there are times to be very sad. We're supposed to weep with those who weep, and there are times I'm very sad, I'm very serious. Boy, there are times I just want to jump and leap for joy. I'm afraid I'm going to hurt my knee and hurt my back when I do it, but I'm going to jump and leap for joy. I'm looking forward to that day when we're before Christ, and we can run and skip and jump and, and sing out and not have to worry about anything. But until then, we need to be worshiping joyfully. We were made to celebrate. 
we were made to rejoice. When God created everything, the sons of God, the angels in heaven, however you want to call them, the, the council of God, they rejoiced, they shouted for joy, and they sang out. That's what we need to be doing in our lives. When we're in Christ. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into a very high-quality wine at the wedding feast of Canaan. And if you don't know anything about that, a wedding feast was usually a week long. And if you were the host, you had to supply food for everybody and wine. So usually what you would do is at the beginning of the week you give them the good stuff, the more stronger good wine, at the end of the time, because they're not even going to realize it by then, because they're all, you've been partying for four days at least, you're going to give them the cheap stuff. The stuff that's not very strong and not very good and is probably going to go bad in a few days. But what does Jesus do? Jesus says he turns the water into wine. It's the good stuff again. See, Jesus doesn't offer us half good things. He doesn't offer us things that are about to expire. He offers us good life. He offers us perfection. His perfection, not ours. For our spirits to be glad. Not to get more drunk, but to show that celebration is a spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit. Our source of joy and exhilaration is the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians 5. It says, and do not get drunk with wine. So don't do it. For that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the joy that comes from the milk, the wine, and the water that Jesus is offering to us. So how do we do this? How do we receive these gifts? Verse 3 of Isaiah 55 says, Incline your ear, listen with your ears, and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord, your God, and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So first, we are to listen. We are to listen to the Holy Spirit. We're to listen to God with our ears and with our hearts. But we we don't stop there. It's not just that we hear it, we take it in our hearts, and we go about our day. No, we take action. We can't be passive. We have to obey. We have to respond to God's invitation. Come and turn away from the unbelief, from the things of this world, from us trying to fill our spirit with the things in this world and satisfy our dehydration. We have to come to him. Our fee for answering and entering the party, it's not money. It doesn't cost you. There's no cover charge. How do we do this, though? How can we buy something without spending money? I wish that was possible. It's not in this world, but it is with Christ. First, we might think that we're buying something that's not expensive. So, of course, it doesn't cost anything, right? But I want to tell you, what Jesus is offering to us is exceedingly expensive. It cost him his life. It cost God his son on the cross, watching him die. That's the cost. But the cost has already been paid. That's our entrance fee. It's been paid. 
Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 18, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You know, a ransom wasn't paid with money, but with precious blood of Christ, that, at a, that, that, a, that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was the perfect sacrifice. The price has been paid. No matter how much you have and how much you want to give, God has already given it for you. Now, I'm not saying you're not supposed to support the church. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you can't buy your salvation. It's already been paid for you. You just have to accept it. Take it. Drink of it. So he's offering us that. He's also offering us the kingdom of Christ. Jesus is everything. He is the drink. He is the food for us to enjoy. He's the water that saves our chronically dehydrated souls. And he gives us eternal life. He's the milk that brings nourishment to our very souls. He gives us vitality. He gives us strength. He gives us the ability to do things beyond anything we could ever imagine. In the midst of our struggles, he allows us to be joyful. That's what he gives us. And health. He's the wine that brings us joy beyond anything this world could ever provide. In John 6.35, Jesus says to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And also in Isaiah 55, we see, we see this idea of an everlasting covenant, an agreement that's being made. God's made a covenant with those who are going to listen, to come, to buy without money, and to find our joy in Christ. This covenant is better than any covenant he made with anybody else. Better than the Mosaic Covenant, better than the Abrahamic Covenant. Those were covenants of the law. Those were covenants of judgment. Those were covenants that brought death. And those covenants you and I cannot keep. It is not possible. God knows that. The new covenant that was made through Jesus Christ is the covenant of life and of glory. Jesus, the son of David, is going to sit on his throne over all creation. The day is coming when we're going to see him on his throne. And if, if, if we come to the waters without money and we buy, we eat, we drink the milk and the wine, and we listen diligently to him, we eat what is good and we delight in what is good, inclining our ear to hear, ear to hear him, our souls will live, we'll enter his kingdom, we'll sit on the throne with him. Forever and ever. And Jesus, he's that witness to the world. He came, he testified to the truth. When he was in front of Pontius Pilate, in John 18 it says this, Then Pilate said to him, So, you are the king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. He says, For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Are you of the truth? Then you listen to his voice. But see, many don't want to hear the truth. In this world today, a lot of people don't want to hear the truth. In, this, in churches today, people don't want to hear the truth. In fact, Paul says, the day's coming. What do they want? They want their ears tickled. They want to hear what they want to hear. I have a relative, I'm not even. I'm not going to say who it was, I have a relative who told me they can't come to my church. And I ask, why? They said, because you tell the truth, and I don't want to hear the truth. That floored me. Don't you want to know the truth? 
Because days coming when if you don't have the truth, you're gone. You're lost. But there are a lot of churches out there who don't preach the truth. They don't preach from Scripture. They don't go by verse. In fact, there's a, there's a thing today, I just read, reading something this week, talking about how some of the churches say that you can't go verse by verse through the Bible and expect people to listen to you. Really? Well, then I guess I'm going to be preaching myself one day because I'm going to keep doing that. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to acknowledge the authority of Christ in their lives. But see, the thing about it is, is what they want and what they want to believe is inconsequential. Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth. Whether you believe him or not, he is who he says he is. He will reign like he says he will reign, and you will have a choice to make. Either you are with him or you are against him. There's no middle ground. There's no getting in by the hair of your chinny chin chin. You either believe him or you don't. And you can't play the game because he knows. You can't fake it because he knows whether you believe in him or not. So work out your faith with fear and trembling. The whole earth is his, everything. But we, his people, know that we, that we enter his kingdom by faith and we find it to our delight. We delight in his kingdom. Even if the rest of the world turns their back on God, we, as his people, will find delight in his kingdom. He's going to come back one day and every eye will see him and they will weep because of him. And in their foolish denial of his authority. But they'll have no choice to admit that he is Lord and King. But at that point in time, it'll be too late. The time has passed. So until then, you and I are now the witnesses to those who are lost. God's telling us not just to sit here and think about the coming of Christ and just build our bunkers or build our little lives and just sit here and wait for it to happen. No, he said, you need to go. You need to go and make disciples because there are people out there who are dying and they need to hear the gospel. And you're the ones that God wants to send. Nobody else. There's no plan B. You are it. God could blast it across the sky if he wanted to. He says, no, I got a better way. I want my people to tell others. We can't come up with any more excuses. We cannot hesitate. Get up. Come to Christ. He wants to give us amazing spiritual privileges that was, <laughs> that was made for us because He has already paid the bill for us. So what, is, what do we take from this? Well, obviously, if you're spiritually thirsty, wandering through the desert of this world, looking for what will satisfy, Jesus is calling you to come, eat, drink deeply of his grace. Now, if you're walking around, you don't even realize that you're spiritually thirsty, but you're trying all the baubles, all of the delicacies of this world, and you're still not satisfied, guess what? Jesus is calling you. Come. You've tried all that stuff and it got you nowhere. Come, find the truth. Drink deeply of me and be satisfied. And Luke 15 says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Or you may be somebody who's tasted the richness of Christ, but you find yourself lured away by the world, 
Why are you spending yourself on stuff that doesn't satisfy? Those things that are going to leave you empty. Return to the father. Think of the prodigal son. He was he had spent all of his father's inheritance, all the money, and he's slopping. He's a Jew and he's slopping pigs. He can't even eat what the pigs are getting. He thinks, oh, I'll go back to my father. At least I can be a servant. But where was his father? His father was standing out front of the house watching for him. And instead of waiting for his son to come to him, he ran to him, threw his arms around him, and said, my son has come home. God is standing there waiting for you to say, I've wandered away. I've wasted everything. I want to come home. I want to be your servant. He says, no, you're my son. Kill the fattened calf. Put a ring on his finger. Put a robe on him. My son has come home. Return to the Father. He's waiting for you. He'll run to you when you return. He and the angels will rejoice because a child of God has returned. Let's pray.